Well, good morning and welcome again to Christ the King. We're very glad that you all are here today and celebrating with us this uh, beautiful Palm Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday is about preparing the way uh, for the Lord, not only into this world, but also into our hearts. And so I want to invite you to uh, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. And for the next couple of weeks uh, today and Easter Sunday, we'll be looking at some passages from Mark chapter 1. And we'll read uh, this morning the first 18 verses. The text is also printed in your bulletin in case you don't have uh, your scriptures with you. Uh, You can follow along with that. And now hear the word of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens torn open, and the Spirit descending upon Him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove Him out into the wilderness, and He was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And He was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to Him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed Him. This is the word of the Lord. So how do you prepare the way? John the Baptist, this man who uh, was sent by God, a prophet, to prepare the way for Jesus to come, uh, was preaching a very specific message about preparing the way for the King. And this imagery... Uh, that may be a little bit unfamiliar to us, is drawn from the great battles and, uh, and conflicts in the ancient Near East in which the conquerors would prepare to invade a land. They would prepare to come into the land. And so with the army, actually ahead of the army, would go massive number of engineers and siege workers and slaves, and as they made their way into the country that they were going to invade 
or conquer. They would even conscript the population of the surrounding country to clear the way, to make a highway, a road, so that their troops could pass through with uh, as little obstacle as possible. And wherever necessary, they'd cut down uh, mountains or they would build up the valleys and make things smooth and straight. And the same exists today. Those of you uh, that are in the military know that long before a battle is ever engaged, uh, planning goes into where we're going to go, how we're going to get there. Logicians and engineers are employed to plan that. And often before the actual combat troops arrive, other troops go in and secure airfields or landing bases or highways and roads so that when the army comes through, they're unhindered and they can move in quickly. They can invade the land and conquer the enemy with as little uh, obstacle as possible. And after the battle, once the war was won, an entire army of people would then prepare the highway again for the conquering king who would come later, usually with his political entourage and all of his glory and splendor, and they would make the highway, they would fill every pothole, they would remove every single rock, they would uh, decorate it as bestly as they could, they would smooth everything out so that when the king came in his chariot or his wagon, that he would just go through very smooth, there would be little jostling, and that the people would be standing along the sides of the roads uh, singing praises, whether they liked him or not, they still had to sing praises to him and welcome him into their land because he was symbolically going to bring peace. Now that the war is over, he's going to bring peace. And symbolically, he is going to reverse the chaos and the famine and the disease and the oppression, whatever it may be. The promise is that this new leader, this great and glorious leader, is going to bring world peace and prosperity to everyone. The idea of recreation, of renewal. And of course, that same idea exists today in every country of the world, including our own. Even though we elect our officials, we still have this hopeful anticipation uh, that they will do well, that they'll actually do some good. Whether they do or not, uh, it's up for debate. But the issue is, we are hopeful that they'll bring peace. So the message that John was preaching is, how do you prepare the way? How do you get your, your life ready? In the spiritual dimension, we don't have to go out and actually prepare a way for Jesus Christ into uh, our life. Uh, we don't have to fix the streets up or decorate or anything like that. But we do have to prepare our hearts. And every year for Christians, the beginning of the year... Uh, we can actually say is Easter, not necessarily Christmas, although I think Christmas is the beginning of the year. Easter is also a new beginning, a recreation for us. So let's look at how we prepare our hearts. We're going to do this quickly three ways. First of all, we're going to take the outer look, looking at the world around us. This is what John was insisting people do. Prepare the way of the Lord. Look around. What do you see out there? What's out there in the world that is an obstacle to our great King? Secondly, John, very specifically, and I'll show you how, tells the people that are coming to him for baptism to take an inner look. Look inside. 
Not only look at the brokenness of the world around you, but maybe even more importantly, look at the brokenness that's inside each of us. Not just individually, as I said earlier with the baptism, but corporately as a people. A national people, maybe as Americans, we're to look this way, but also as Christians, we're to look this way. And more specifically, we like to call ourselves Reformed, whatever that means. Because now it almost means nothing. All that reform means is you've asked John Calvin into your heart. And did you believe in election and predestination? That's all it means now. But if you had asked John Calvin what reform means, he would have said, we baptize our babies. So make no mistake that when we perform a sacrament like baptizing babies, we are taking an inner look, an outer look. We are looking at the whole picture of God's redemptive plans, both individually and corporately, for us, for our children, for the world. And so John is wanting the people that are coming to him to take an inner look. Look inside what's going on. And then finally, we're going to look to the true king. So let's let's do this uh, these three ways. The outer look. The brokenness of our world. Verses 1-3. through three, Look at it. It says, beginning. This is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Behold, I send My messenger before your face to prepare your way. So John is announcing that he is to go and prepare the world for the coming of of the king. There was a broken world at that time. We often think that that the Roman world was completely different than our world. Of course there was poverty and of course there was disease and of course there was famine and of course people didn't have enough to eat and there was this and there was that. But it's all gone now. We live in complete uh, uh, enlightened 21st century, we have cars. In fact, we're going to all, after the service, get in a car, turn a switch, and get a blast of nice, cool, cold air. And we're going to make our way, probably debating amongst ourselves, where should we have lunch? And then many of us are going to think, oh my God, what should I have for lunch? And how much should I eat? And should I have carbs? We live, in such an, we, we live in such an envelope, in such a bubble here in the West. And I, I'm, say, I'm crying out as a prophet to you, saying that if we don't open our eyes, we may wake up one day and all of that could be gone. As far-fetched as it may seem to us, everything can be lost in a moment, in an instant. And we'll have fewer and fewer of our number remember the days of the Great Depression that my, gra- my grandfather would never throw a paper towel away. He would clean them, rinse them out, and then dry them and save them and use them again. And we used to make fun of him. And now I think he was a genius. We used to make fun that he would reuse and reuse and never throw away. And th- and would, because he grew up in a time when there was nothing. No food. No paper towel. One pair of shoes. One change of clothes. If that. And many of you knew those people or remember those days. 
And folks, we have forgotten that. We have forgotten what it means to be uncomfortable and need to take an outer look at our world filled with injustice, filled with corruption, filled with political unrest, filled with polarization even in our country. We are no longer at peace in our country. We are at war. And if you don't know that, just turn on the television. We are at war, not with ISIS and not with Syria or Russia or anybody. We're at war with each other. We hate each other. And it's unbelievable that we call ourselves Christians in this country. And I'm, I'm going to continue this message, folks, as long as I live, that the Christians in this country had better wake up, prepare the way. Look at your heart. Look at the world around you. Look at the churches around us. Crazy, unbelievable stuff. There is disease, war, racism, hatred, slavery, exploitation. Nothing's new. 2,000 years, still the same. We're living in relative safety now, but a lot of the world doesn't. And look at the church. I posted on Facebook a few weeks ago. I don't know if any of you saw it or even notice or even look at Facebook, but if you don't, go home and get on YouTube and look up Church Hunters, part one and part two. Did any of you see it? Church Hunters, part one and part two. It's a parody of this couple who's going around and trying out all these different churches so they can find just the right one. And it's hilarious. And at the same time, it's heartbreaking and sad because it's so true. I mean, the wife goes and she gets the collection plates and she's, you know, kind of weighing them and saying, gosh, you know, these are kind of heavy and we've got to pass them along, you know. Can't we find a church where they have lighter collection plates? I mean, the, the lighting, it's, it's so dark in here. Can't we light it up? And the husband says, no, I like it dark in here. And, you know, it back and forth and back and forth. Oh, the music's too loud and the music's too this. The seats are too hard and the seats are too soft. And they serve communion every week. And Chuck should wear his robe and Chuck shouldn't wear his robe. And I mean, all and all and all, on and on and on. And totally and completely undiscerning all the while. If you were to ask them a simple Bible question, any Bible question, they would get it wrong. Because they're totally undiscerning. They don't know the difference. They don't even know their Scriptures. They know nothing. They have a complete biblical illiteracy and a crass... Listen, if anything is going to bring down this country, folks, it is going to be crass, self-centeredness and selfishness. That's what's going to conquer us. No foreign enemy. It will be the selfie. When they write the history books, what brought down the West? Selfies. That's all it's going to say. They're going to need one word in an encyclopedia of what brought down the West. Selfies. Now, I'm not against selfies. I have two or three in my phone, mostly of other people. I don't like pictures of myself. What is wrong with us, folks? Look, Our job as elders is not to pat you and and stroke you and tell you how great everything is. You know what? Man and woman up. Christian up. And get real about your Christianity. Do you believe it? Like I said a few weeks ago, do we really believe the King is coming? Are we ready for Him to come? Would we want Him to see see us weighing the collection? Oh, it's too heavy. Would we want Him to see that? Well, guess what? He's watching. 
Would we want Him to see our crass selfishness and our crazy interpretations of the Scripture? Would we want Him to see that? No, we wouldn't. Our church is broken. Our world is broken. Our political systems are broken around the world. We've got terrorists that are savage terrorism. And we've got savage hatred here in our own country. And a lot of it is even in the church where the biggest churches, the largest churches in the United States of America, most of them are word faith churches where they tell you everything is blessing, everything is money, everything is divine health, everything is this and this. And they're spreading it to the entire world and the entire world is going gaga for it. Why? Because of the selfie. Me. It's all about me. Everywhere in the world. I don't care if you're living in the rich West or in the poor third world or anything in between. Our problem out there is in here. It's crass, unbelievable selfishness. Listen to what Moses warned the church, the children of Israel. Listen to what he warned them. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God and are careful to do all my commandments, then the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth and all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. You'll be blessed in the city, the field, the fruit of your womb, the cattle, the ground, the herds, the flock, the basket, the kneading bowl. When you come in, when you go out, the Lord will defeat your enemies. They will come against you one way and they'll go out seven ways. Blessed will be your barns. Blessed will be your land. The Lord will establish and on and on it goes for about 14 verses. You with me? Blessed will you be if you obey everything I have commanded you, then you'll have this. But if you don't, He reverses it And he doesn't just do the reverse for 14 verses. He goes to our 53 verses calling down every kind of plague and horror that you can even imagine. If you don't obey my commandments, every single one. Are you feeling it? Are you feeling what John felt when he stood up there in his his camel's hair and eating bugs and all of the rest, can you feel what he was crying out to his world? Prepare the way. Can you feel it? Wake up. If we only do it in our little church, fine, I'm happy with that. I don't have to answer for every other church. But I have to answer for this church and you have to answer for your life. Prepare the way. Do you believe the gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus? The gospel is the King is coming. The King is coming. He is going to erupt, not erupt, but erupt. He's going to tear His way into this world. That's what that word means in the Greek. It means He tore the Spirit, tore its way into this universe, made its way into this universe to baptize Jesus. It ripped apart The fabric of our cosmos. It's not the same anymore. Everything has changed. And we cannot go on living just like everything's the same. We've got to take the gospel serious. And I know that many, many of you do. 
And that's where we come to the inner look. You take an outer look, it's a mess. You take an inner look. Look at verses 4 through 6. Look what he says. John appeared baptizing, proclaiming. What was he proclaiming? A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And look at this. All Judea, that's not all everyone, it was all in in a hyperbolic sense, all went out, all Judea, all Jerusalem, were going out and being baptized in the Jordan, confessing their sins. John says, take a look outside. Prepare the way for the king, but take a look inside. What is going on inside? And will we do that? What the Puritans called an inner look. Will you take the inner look? And a lot of us do. We take an inner look and we, we say, oh, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I'm actually better than most people. I'm better than anyone here for sure. Right? We take an inner look and we turn to self-hatred and self-loathing. I'm the worst person in the world. You know, none of you are the worst person in the world. Yes? Say yes. None of you, there are worse people than you. And there are better people than you. I don't know who they are. (laughs) I don't know who the worst people are. I do know me. I've looked in my heart. I've taken the selfie of me and I've looked at it and I've going, that's not too good. I don't think I'll post that on Facebook. Nobody wants to see that. And this is what John is calling people to and the Spirit is moving mightily. He's tearing into the world to get them to go and see themselves. Confession, listen carefully, confession is not informing God or just admitting something to God. It's way more than that. Confession is agreeing with God. In fact, the very word itself means to agree with, to come in line with. Confession is you looking at the deepest, darkest sin of your heart or your personal preference or your lifestyle or your choice, whether or not you're going to live this way or that way or be nice to this one or that one or put a smile on your face or not. It's asking you to agree with God And not to tell him, I will define my own way. I will define my own lifestyle. I'll define what's right for me. I'll do whatever I want. I will be my own God. I will eat that fruit. After all, it looks good and it will make me wise. Why not? God's wise. Why shouldn't I be my own God? Confession is not simply agreeing with God that it's, or it's not simply admitting to God that you've done something, it's agreeing with Him that you've done something. And laying yourself low. Yes, I'm greedy. Yes, I don't like to, I pinch my pennies and I don't want to give to the the church or the Red Cross or anybody else. Yes, uh, I have an anger issue. Yes, I have a lust issue. Yes, I'm critical and gossipy. And yes, yes, and saying yes. And agreeing with God. And not only agreeing with Him, yes, I do those things, but agreeing with Him that they're wrong and then going at them with full strength. With all your effort to tear them away. To put them to death. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the the sin that's underneath every sin, folks, the sin underneath every sin is what we call idolatry. And Martin Lloyd-Jones defines idolatry this way. Anything, anything, 
good or bad, but anything that occupies the place in your life that God should occupy alone. In other words, there's no room in our hearts for other things alongside of God. It doesn't mean that you can't have other priorities in your life. What it's saying is that the idols of your heart have got to be removed. That only God can take that place. In other words, what we do, according to Dr. Jones, is what we do is we say Jesus plus this and this and this. Jesus plus you know, my good work, or Jesus plus my efforts, or Jesus plus my giving. Look, Jesus, look how much I tithe this month. Now you owe me a hundredfold in return. How horrific is that? Do you know what God's answer was to that kind of heresy? Do you know what His answer was? Read Psalm 50. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. If I was hungry, I wouldn't come to you. Put your tithe back in your pocket, if that's going to be the case. And yet we have these liars and heretics on television saying, oh, send your money in and you can have all this. Do you see, folks, idolatry? It's Jesus plus something. Or go closer to home. Jesus plus a perfect marriage. Jesus plus a perfect family and children. Jesus plus a great job and career. Jesus plus this. Jesus plus that. Jesus plus my prayers. Jesus plus my attendance at church. Jesus plus my Reformed theology. Jesus plus John Calvin. Do you see how crazy this becomes? And if we won't take the inner look, we lose. Great theologian, systematic theologian, one of the most brilliant minds ever to live, Stephen Charnock. Listen to what he said. Listen. When a person acts as if something below God could make them happy without God, or that God could not make him happy, listen, without the addition of something else. He's defining idolatry. Thus, Now listen, the glutton makes a god of his dainties. The ambitious make a god of their honors. The uncontrolled a god of their lust. The covetous, their wealth. And consequently, listen, esteem them as their highest good, the most noble end to which they direct their thoughts. Even Charnock from a whole nother century, folks, saw the danger that we in the West, I mean, we are on a precipice, even the church, perhaps especially the church. Yes? No? Okay. Broken lives, looking around us and seeing the world broken, the inside, our life, the land filled with poverty, with disease, with death and demons, and even our own hearts filled with a divided heart. Money, approval, education, the perfect marriage, the perfect children, uh, whatever the case is, whatever it is. If you're going to measure your life by that, Then you're like what C.S. Lewis describes in the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He says, it is always winter, always winter, but never Christmas. 
always winter, but never Christmas. You see, our true hearts are not prepared. And they're unfulfilled. And we feel empty. And unless we add these other things, even our Christianity can become marginalized. And we sort of say, well, it doesn't work. All that stuff Chuck talks about, it doesn't work. That's because something else is occupying the space that God should occupy alone. That's why we, with every, every strength in our body, folks, the session of this church and your pastor cry out to you. Live like you mean it. Prepare your hearts. Who knows what tomorrow may bring? It may bring a diagnosis. You know, I've got all my doctors. You all know I've had health issues. All of my doctors I had to go see, only half of them last week. I never had one doctor. Now I have an entire, um, a, a, a gross of doctors. Like a gross of hobbits. A gross of doctors. 144 is a gross. 12 dozen. Never mind. Okay. We've long passed the days when anybody knows what 144 is. Right? Somehow we've passed those days. How do you take the outer look? How do you look outside at the world, folks, without becoming fearful? And Christian, look, even in our church, folks, we're wringing our hands. Oh, my God, i got to go to the doctor. What's going to happen? What are they going to say? You know what? Usually at my age, it's not good news. And I'm going next week, I'm going to see a whole, another half gross of doctors. And if, you, if you're that person, if you know well, I've got to go to the doctor, I've got to go see my boss, my boss wants to see me, or your wife calls you and said, we need to talk. You can become fearful, cynical, judgmental, despairing, or insensitive, just harden your heart. Say, you know what, I don't care what happened in Syria. I don't care what's happening over there. Because it's so abstract. I get that. I look at the news, folks, and I go, how in the world can you even feel? All you can feel is horror. You can't really get your hands around it because it is so distant. But at the same time, just look around us. There are people whose lives are really busted and hurting. Addiction. Fear, broken marriages, broken homes, children off the rails. Our own health, betray, our own bodies that we put so much hope in are betraying us. And no matter how good or healthy you are, someday it starts to go the other direction. Yes? All right, enough bad news. How do we look to the king? How do you address the outer look, the inner look that can make you self-centered, self-protective, or hate yourself, morbid introspection where you just hate your... How do you defeat that? And What John is saying is you've got to look to the King. Yes, look to the outer world. Yes, we need to prepare the way. Yes, look into your heart. Yes, we need to prepare our hearts. But you've got to find the King. And John says it in verses 7 and 8. After me, look at his message. It's absolutely glorious. After me comes one mightier than I, whose straps of the sandals I'm not worthy to stoop and untie. I've baptized you with water. I've baptized you with water. Nothing, water. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit. And, 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 and Matthew adds this, He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in His hand. 
And He will separate the chaff and the grain with unquenchable fire. And the late night prophets on TV say that He's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about the power of the Holy Spirit when He says fire. Not the Holy Spirit of Pentecost. He's talking about the Holy Spirit fire of judgment coming to this earth and burning away the chaff, separating the chaff from the grain and bringing judgment, bringing separation. It's a horrible message. How come I'm having to do this this morning? Judgment to those who follow the word of the serpent. He is going to come and destroy them with fire. And then, thank goodness, he says this, justification for those who will trust the word, not of the serpent, but of the word of the Lamb. Look at 9 through 11. Jesus was baptized by John, and immediately, immediately, the heavens were torn open. The word is a word that is, is it, it, it's, it's violent. It is ripping apart the cosmos, it's tearing the curtain aside as the Spirit of God descends. And where does he descend? Upon Jesus Christ. And for what? For what? To bring Him power? Yes, indeed. He was immensely powerful. To bring Him the ability to proclaim the Word of God and to turn the world upside down? Yes. But He also came down and baptized that Son of God, that man in whom He was well pleased with fire and judgment. Sinclair Ferguson says He already indicates how He will become our Savior. By standing in the river in whose waters penitent Jews had symbolically washed away their sins, polluting that water with their filth, and He the man in whom God is well pleased, he steps into that water polluted with our sin, our fill, our unrighteousness. He steps into that water. That water is poured over his perfect being. Judgment, preparing. Our heart, folks, not just coming to church and singing our songs. All It is taking the outer look. We live in a world that's broken. We live in a world that's just really messed up. And looking inside, look in our own hearts and see that we deserved the winnowing fork. We deserve to be cast in the air and to be blown away like chaff and consumed with fire and forgotten. Who in this room would dare to say, no, no, I'm worthy. I deserve because of all the good that I have done and all that I've given to the church and the good life I've lived and on and on. All Jesus plus, plus, plus. I deserve this. The storehouse. Who can say that? 
I can't. Jesus Christ baptized for us. And on Palm Sunday, the day we commemorate today, He went into that city knowing that He would be re-baptized with judgment. And He went for you and for me and anyone who will place their trust on Him. He stepped back into that fiery furnace and took the blaze for us, for each of us. For our sake, He made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become the righteousness of God, that those who believe in Him could become the righteousness of God. Will you trust Him? Let's promise, folks, in this little church, just to God and to ourselves and to each other, Let's promise that we're going to live like we mean it. Prepare our hearts. You know, when John started preaching, who knows, there may have just been a few people like us there. But it started with them because they took him serious. And before long, all Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him. Will you trust him? Will you trust him for yourself, for your family, for your children, for your spouse, at your work? Will you find your identity in Jesus? I pray that you will. I really pray that you will. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy that endures forever. We think we live in complicated times, but Father, they're as simple as the day we were born and placed in the Garden of Eden. And even in paradise, even in paradise, we would not listen and refused to hear your word, surrounded by paradise. Father, help us. Save us and have mercy on us. And may this Sunday, the Sunday of the palms, in which our King rode into Jerusalem to be re-baptized in death. Father, help us remember that without Him we are nothing. And have nothing. Help us. Save us. Have mercy on us, our God. Amen.